When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. No time on the clock. And the Patriots have won Super Bowl 36. Well, that wasn't very fun. Dolphins 20, Patriots 7, and one of the more boring season openers of what was a bananas week one slate in the NFL. Two days later, we're here to break it down. Housekeeping note, um, on pass interference in the regular season, we're going to be twice a week, and it's going to be regular. Tuesdays and Fridays, Tuesdays to recap, Fridays to preview. We got a little head start on that last week with Zach Cox and Dakota Randall from Nesson, who were outstanding, previewing the game on Sunday that we all thought would have a few more fireworks than it did. Um, but today is just going to be me and we're going to go through all the film notes I've accumulated rewatching the game Sunday night, rewatching it again on Monday. A lot of this you can find on the bostonherald.com or if you're old school, pick up a paper. We appreciate it. Um, but there are some things in the podcast that you will not find on there. So always good to do a little bit of both. Now, one of the things you can't find in print, um, because this is from conversations I've had since I filed that story is that we're all wondering, you know, aside from Mac Jones back injury, now reported to be back spasms. He told reporters uh, Monday night that he expects or he hopes to play. He hopes to play. He feels much better. It's back spasms. He hopes to play against Pittsburgh. That Kendrick Bourne, two snaps. This is what we're wondering about. Why is it only two snaps? It has been reiterated to me that Kendrick Bourne's limited playing time was strictly about his performance in the summer. Okay. These are not lingering grudges from him being sat for a preseason game and sent home. It's not about the fights in Carolina, which were really now about a month ago. Uh, those, of course, being enjoyed practices. This is about him being their fourth best receiver through training camp in the preseason. Now, I would argue that despite that performance, he's not the fourth best receiver. He's still probably number two, and particularly considering when you look at this matchup, Devontae Parker, a contender to be your new number one, had one catch on two targets, and it was a little drag route underneath a lot of zone coverage that he didn't take very far. So Kendrick Bourne, I think will play more, but ultimately this comes down to a decision for them of him or Nelson Aguilar. If Devontae Parker doesn't continue to slide backward and then maybe John o. Smith, because the Patriots offense in this game was really down the middle. 50% was with three wide receivers. 50% of the time they played with two tight ends and two wide receivers. Okay. Those are the basic decisions that are going to be the bedrock and the foundation of this entire offense. We're going to get to the offense in a second. Um, but I want to start with the good here because we know there's a lot of bad in 20 to seven. And I am not in the camp that Bill Belichick twice now declared that this game was evenly matched and really just came down to two plays. The strip sack of Mac Jones in the second quarter that became the easiest scoop and score, I think, in the world. Uh, and then, of course, Tua Tagovailoa's 
42-yard touchdown pass to Jalen Waddle and a catch and run right before halftime that completely turned this game on its head. I think there was a lot more bad in here for the Patriots. It is not time to panic. Many of these mistakes are fixable. That's week one, okay? And zooming out, which I think if if anyone was um, you know bored enough to start a, a drinking game around this podcast, this tiny little podcast, me saying the phrase zoom out or zooming out would have to be number one with a bullet. But zooming out, it's important to remember that we know nothing, Jon Snow, about the NFL after week one. So, yes, the Patriots offense underwhelmed, as expected. They lost in Miami, as expected. The Dolphins were three-and-a-half-point favorites after starting around two points at the start of the week, okay? The offensive line had its issues, as expected. But we need to see more football. You can call it an extension of the preseason, which it's really not. These games count. Or you can call it disaster. The answer is it's somewhere in the middle, and we're going to learn more next Sunday where they're in Pittsburgh, where it sounds like Mac Jones is going to be able to play. But – whether you put a lot of stock into the good or the bad of this podcast, I would just acknowledge that there's going to be some of both and that it could be a very different story looking three to four weeks down the road when we're really going to start to know about this team. Now, no more big picture, no more zooming out. Let's dive straight in. The good from a 20 to seven loss in Miami where your best drive uh, aside from the touchdown drive was your first one. And it went all downhill from there was of course on defense. Okay. The Patriots defensive front for the first time in three or four meetings against Miami, which annually has one of the worst offensive lines, particularly in pass protection. They finally took advantage of them. Matt Judon and Dietrich Wise tied one another with four pressures apiece. Each had a sack. Judon had three QB hits. Wise had two hurries and an extra QB hit. They need these guys in the pass rush as a whole for the Patriots to maximize and reach their potential defensively to apply that pressure week in and week out. They don't need to hit a four pressure total each and every single week, but you've got to spread it around. Josh Uche had a couple. You had some push from Devon Gacha and Christian Barmore, but this was a very, very good sign for a team that didn't blitz a whole lot. And we know really isn't going to blitz a whole lot considering their talent to play man coverage on the outside. What they also did, of course, was dominate the line of scrimmage against the run. Miami, 2.5 yards per carry. Not great. Now, what Miami did to counteract that very wisely, cleverly, was a lot of the short passing game. They had one of the highest passing rates in the entire league in week one, and it was early down slants and in cuts and outs and bubbles and all this different stuff just to get the ball added to his hands in an area where he's very accurate, and they succeeded. But they were one-dimensional, and that was because of a Patriots defensive front that finally took advantage on one of the worst O-lines in the league. Now, defensively they also had an answer for Tyree Kill and this sounds weird for a guy who had 94 receiving yards that led everyone on that field but he's also Tyree Kill okay he can get 94 yards in two plays and you kind of expect it when he's out there okay but they made made him earn that 94 yards over what was 12 targets and one carry so when you look strictly at those targets he's averaging less than 8 yards per target you will take that for a guy who can go to the house at any second. So his longest gain, also it's worth noting, which was partly tied into how the Patriots wanted to play him, played this game as a whole, was a 26-yard one-handed grab in front of Jack Jones. Jack Jones, fourth-round rookie, was in there because the Patriots had these pre-planned rotations to help guys deal with the heat. But he was in the right spot, too, for a pick. Like Tyreek Hill ripped this ball out of Jack Jones' two hands with one in what should have been an interception because this is one of those two – to a balls that he just kind of throws up first reads not there. Well, let's toss it up. Tyree kills one of the best receivers in the world. 
He's not someone you want to throw jump balls to at five foot nine, but he came down with that one. So the point here is that 94 yards very well could have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 70, 68. And if John Jack Jones had that one interception, but ultimately the Patriots while outplayed also had some bad luck because they didn't grab passes like that. They didn't recover either fumble, but they did achieve one of their clear goals to keep everything in front. They only missed five tackles. They made Tyree kill earn his yards and otherwise did a good job against an offense that's built to have yards after the catch. Tyree Kill had some, but not nearly enough that where he was knocking the Patriots out on his own as he's done years and years ago. Um, last one for the good, because we want we really want to mean good in this podcast. We don't want to mince words. John U. Smith only had 33 yards, but that was three catches and four targets. On those three catches, that dude broke four tackles. Okay, that matched Damian Harris, who saw three times the number of touches, okay, for the team lead. And that's important because, as I mentioned before, the Patriots split this down the middle in terms of how they're going to play offense. 50% of the time with three wide receivers and 11 personnel. The other 50, 12 personnel, two tight ends. Their decision is, is John Smith better than our third receiver, whomever that might be? For half of the game, it was yes. And they really tried to lead with that. The script, when you look at that first drive, you know, six or seven of those first eight plays, all in 12 personnel, running the ball, splitting the tight ends out wide so that they offer some better blocking for a run in that particular direction. Or they might crack or whatever they're going to do. Johnny Smith played well. Again, he didn't play like the third highest paid tight end in the league, which he is in case you had forgotten. But he played well enough where there's some potential there that you think they're going to unlock this season, which is going to be key for this offense, not only because he's being paid so much, because of their decision of how to rebuild this. It's around 12 personnel, and it's going to be around players like him in space breaking tackles, which, at least for one game, he did. Okay, on to the bat. On to what really made this game what it was. And it was not, as Bill Belichick said, Sunday night, and then again Monday morning, just about two plays. Because if the Patriots had run the ball as well as they did in that first drive for the rest of the game, they would have made a couple more plays. They would have evened this up and probably had a lot more yards instead of the same total as Miami, but they didn't. They got shut down on the ground because after that first quarter, after their first two drives, they had two runs, two runs that went longer than four yards. Okay. And the Patriots were able to run the ball so well because they were running inside zone and crack toss crack toss in particular is very good against a man blitz kind of defense where you get, you know, your receivers pinning in those outside linebackers or defensive linemen while the offensive linemen in front of the edge defenders pull around and lead. Okay. It's a big sweep play. You know, you got a seal here and a seal here and then you create an it. All right. As uh, Merrill Hodge very blatantly stole. I don't know how many, if any people saw that or called him out for stealing that from the Vince Lombardi clip, but moving on, they didn't run the ball for the rest of the game. They were one dimensional. Now that's not going to kill you entirely against the Miami defense that was missing one of its two pro bowl corners. But second point about the bad was, the Patriots didn't exploit what was a weakness there for a third corner in Miami. It was either Keon Crossan, who you might remember was drafted in New England and is really a special teams guy masquerading as a corner. He was not targeted in eight covered snaps. Okay. You had an undrafted rookie in Cater Cove who was, you know, successfully defended his two targets. And then Nick Needham, who's kind of like a utility guy in that secondary, who gave up five catches on six targets, the Patriots, instead of spreading Miami out and finding any one of them and avoiding Xavier Howard, who caught an interception on his first target, 
go figure. He's an all pro. Okay. They opted to shrink the field and not pick on those guys. And to me, that was a huge game plan flaw considering the talent they felt they've had adding Devonte Parker, improving Nelson Aguilar and felt good enough to just sideline and stash Kendrick Bourne that they should have been able to exploit that against a team that played a little bit more zone, but was still a heavy man defense. They needed to pick on those guys. Nick Needham again, gave up five catches on six targets. There was a lot more gold to be mined there that they just got discarded. Now let's go to what happened in those 12 personnel snaps when they opted to play two tight ends instead of a third or fourth receiver and spread Miami out. I just said, John Smith played well. Well, typically around him, the Patriots did not because this was the most shocking stat that I dug up from looking over the film. When they had 12 personnel on the field, one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers, they averaged 2.3 yards per pass. Not per play, which was three yards, 2.3 yards per pass. That includes a sack, of course, the interception. You had a couple losses on some of these screens that Mac flipped out to Ramondre Stevenson, and he gets he's dead in the water. Um, you know, again, they're trying to generate some more plays to get players like Stevenson and John Smith yards after the catch and one-on-one. They just couldn't do it. And so what the Patriots became, you know, we talked about them being one-dimensional running the ball. It was also one-dimensional from a personnel standpoint because they weren't running the ball from 11 personnel, which when they had three receivers out there, they averaged 3.7 yards per carry. Okay, that was higher than their overall average. But when you dig into the numbers, okay, just like the last three quarters that we talked about, two-thirds of their runs after that first quarter when they were in three receivers were stuck, zero, no gain. Okay, one of those runs that was a net positive was a jet sweep to Jacoby Myers. So this was an offense that could throw the ball from three receiver sets, okay? Couldn't pass the ball from two tight end sets. And Miami knew it, okay? They caught on very quickly adjusting to the crack tosses in the inside zones and really had no problem defending what should be the league's most dangerous two tight end duo. And when they went three receivers, they were still happy to man up and play that. So... They need to obviously sort a lot of things out. A lot of the running game came down to individual failures. Michael Wanu had to run stuff. Trent Brown had his own one. David Andrews got rolled back. Those things are going to happen. But when you average 2.3 yards per play, per pass, excuse me, from one of two personnel groupings, that just lets the defense sit back and know, we got this. Um, Other thing, this is easy. Separation issues, I mean, those are still evident. I mean, the Patriots – Solution to this with the receiving core was to add Devontae Parker, who, according to next-gen stats, has generated the second least separation from one-on-one defenders of anyone in the league the last couple of years. Okay, so Jacoby Myers had an unbelievable contested catch over Nick Needham down the sideline. A hurt Jacoby Myers is still their best option. And again, this isn't to say that'll be the case for the next 16 games, but their ways of freeing their players didn't exactly work as well as they had thought. Hey guys, just a quick break to remind you something you already know. Football is back. And Bet Online is still your number one source for all your NFL and college football betting needs this season. Find all the latest odds, news, and game matchups right up to the minute at betonline.ag. It is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. It is always the fastest and always the easiest way to bet on your favorite sports, even beyond football. Look to the MLB playoffs, MMA, tennis, 
boxing, and even golf. Yes, they're still playing golf out there. So head online to betonline.ag. Join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's 50%, 5-0. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Again, that's betonline.ag, where the game starts. Last one. Let's go to the ugly. And we have fewer takeaways here. We're going to get back into some mailbag questions. We've got a mega mailbag, but you want to know why this was ugly and why things didn't work. It's a lot to do with the stuff that I just said, and particularly with adjustments, okay? It was the running game over the last three quarters. It was the inability to pass the ball from 12 personnel. And they didn't make it hard on Miami pre-snap. We didn't see a whole lot of motion. We only saw two play action passes. I thought this was an error that I made when I'm charting every single play during the game. And I go back and look at my notes. Like, okay, I definitely missed one. It's it's a season opener. I'm rusty. I missed it. No, that was it. 6% of Mac Jones's dropbacks for play action, which if you listen to any sort of national podcast or followed any sort of analytics, play action is kind of a cheat code. Okay. Like even if you're not running the ball, well, defenders at the second level have to respect it. What that does is open up the second level. It is the whole attraction or the bedrock, the foundation of the Shanahan offense that people thought they were going to pivot to, which by the way, this is not a Shanahan offense. We don't need to waste any more time talking about this. There are Shanahan like features, but you can't be a Shanahan offense running three snaps from outside zone and only two play action passes, which are really the pillars of that. Even the offenses that game plan a little bit more like Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Don't get that far away from their base. The Patriots not running a cousin of that. All right. But you need to run more play action, period, okay? Because the Patriots did not open up that second level, and I think this was partly a game plan decision because Miami brings a lot of blitz pressure, and they bring a ton from the secondary, which is a little harder to pick up, as we saw on the strip sack. So you don't want to hurt Mac Jones, okay? The Giants blitz in the preseason on half of the Patriots' offensive snaps, and they said, screw it, we're not not running play action at all. Okay, so there's definitely part of that. But what you can do with play action is go max protection, Keep the running back in the tight end or both tight ends into block to dam up any of that blitz pressure off the edge, up the middle, whatever it might be, because the gap and the advantage of that play action drawing in the linebackers is going to be huge at that intermediate level. This is typically how the Patriots generate chunk plays. Even when Brady was here, you know, aside from the Moss years, he's not really slinging it downfield a whole lot. Maybe Brandon Cooks in 17 Gronk down the seams, but most of the Gronk catches were off of play action. Mac Jones only attempted two passes and they weren't the play action types in that intermediate zone, 10 to 19 yards past the line of scrimmage. That's an area you need to attack because it's a little bit safer than the deep sideline shots. We saw him take, he was two of six going 20 yards or more downfield. Okay. He was perfect behind the line. He was like something like nine of 10 within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. But that window is a way to attack defenses, back them off the running game, which obviously, as we said, wasn't working and they just didn't do it. And the easiest way to do it was play action that needed to be fixed as well as finding a way to run the ball in Miami without the crass talk look because they ran two crack tosses. Okay. First two were great. Went for 20 yards combined. The third one, Miami dropped. They said, okay, we've seen this before. Stevenson goes back for four yards. So the lack of adjustments in game, as far as the running game goes, as far as unsticking your 12 personnel passing game, Kendrick Bourne is still on the sideline. He gets a 41-yard catch, your longest play of the game. Come back to the bench. We never saw him again. Because the 41 yards he got really kind of put Belichick's total yards argument together as far as, you know, total yardage, it was really an even game. Like imagine if Bourne never makes that play. You can't say that. 
But now imagine the opposite. Imagine if he plays a little bit more, gets a couple explosive plays. Then you could make that argument. We had more yards. We had more explosive plays. We attacked the middle of the field off of play action. They didn't, okay? And then you might have a case. Or you might have some more points, and this is a closer game. But the decisions in coaching, mid-game of the adjustments, and the personnel were really head-scratching here, considering Miami made adjustments, okay? They were still able to apply some blitz pressure. But then they backed off and dropped eight on that fourth down, okay? And another key third down that forced the Patriots into a punt. The coaching battle went to Miami in this one. And that's really it. I mean, we could talk about the messaging again. I've hit it on a couple times with Belichick, but the ugly part really to me was the adjustments. And we don't need to go on to their lack of picking on Nick Needham and Keon Crossan, where he went down those numbers. It wasn't good. So that's what we have here for the Patriots. The offense was not good. There was obviously some positives. The defense, I think, is something that you can take away and feel really good about. The Dolphins only scored 13 points. Okay, That's really sometimes what this game can boil down to. Maybe not a couple of plays, but certainly the points. And Tua, God bless him, 4-0 against Phil Belichick, but that dude has only averaged 21 points per game against the Patriots, and he's unbeaten. How do they clean all this up? I think a lot of it is fundamentals. Same person I talked to who talked to me about Kendrick Bourne. This is strictly on fields as it pertains to the summer, which, again, I think you just need to let him work out the kinks in games because talent-wise and production last year, he's one of your best two receivers, certainly three. Um said that the, a lot of this is fixable. And I think it comes down to some of those blocks and those run stuffs and IDing the sacks. Trent Brown gave up at least one, okay? Um, and probably two, you know, gave up the strip sack. And some of that, you just got to credit Miami. But, you know, one lineman does something better. You know, then you don't have one of those two plays that Belichick's talking about and you take six or seven points off the board. It's an entirely different ballgame. So Pittsburgh, we know one is Cincinnati. That's a team that is going to blitz a whole lot. Okay, they lost T.J. Watt, which could be a real break for the Patriots here. But Mika Fitzpatrick was everywhere. That dude had 14 tackles and interception at safety. He'll come to the second level, third level. Like He is someone that they're going to have to account for in every single play, kind of like the Patriots defense did with Tyree Kill. It's not because Tyree Kill is the same caliber of players Mika Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick's a, a drop down. But this is a dangerous, experienced, high-pressure defense. Okay, Those same descriptors applied to Miami. We just saw what they did. Okay. This is going to be on the road, big environment in Pittsburgh. Mac Jones, probably not hundred percent, but even if he plays, this is again, not a great matchup for them. It's going to be riding on the Patriots defense to carry them through. And we're going to have a lot more in the Steelers later on this week. Okay. Let's wrap up with a mailbag. We got a big mailbag today. Um, Jake from Twitter writes in, do you think the Patriots are close to solving the John Smith usage conundrum? I thought they did a nice job with the tight end screen and getting him open in the flat. So Jake just hits on the two plays where John Smith broke four tackles. The, the John Smith conversation, I think, to me, speaks to something larger, which is, you know, their offense now is making decisions about players who probably shouldn't deserve their own conversations, right? Like, again, John Smith is someone who's never top 500 receiving yards in a season. So are we going to change our entire course of our offense based on a player like that? Again, he's a good player, but is he someone that keeps defensive coordinators up at night? You might have to look for him in the red zone, or if he's one-on-one, he'll catch a, He'll take a jet sweep every once in a while. But I don't think the Patriots need to look at this as we need to solve his usage conundrum because we're paying a ton of money. We need to score points is what the Patriots should be saying in any way that they could. They see John o. Smith as a way to help them do that. I think to a degree, yes, but largely you need to figure out if he's even better than having Kendrick Bourne out there instead of a Nelson Aguilar or maybe a Devontae Parker. And if that's not the case, 
to play those guys and run a lot more with three receivers um, because they used him pretty creatively last year. They could have done a better job, but they decided pretty much after week two, this is not how, how it's going to go. He became a run blocking tight end. So I think they're doing a couple things different here. And you're going to see this evolve with the RPOs. There was a reason he finished with the second most catches in training camp. These were safe throws for Mac Jones to go to, you know, in the flat short over the middle, it was him and Jacoby Myers. They ate every single day. Okay. And there's a good player in there, a little bit better player, but I, I think they're as close as they're ever going to be. There's a lot more they haven't shown us. And we'll probably see a lot more performances like this one on Sunday, where maybe he bricks that fourth tackle and gets into the end zone. We go, okay, he had 50 yards and a touchdown. It's a great day for Jonathan Smith. And then it comes back to 33 yards on three catches. Fiora Jones on Twitter, welcome to Pat's Interference. Were the O-line problems primarily with the new stuff, or were they just bad all around if they decided to move away from Patricia as both the O-line coach and OC? Which job would he be more likely to keep and who might get the other job? Um, I would say this. The job of kind of leading the offense, this offense, as I've been told, is it's Belichick is a starting point. This has always been his offense. He's just kind of given the keys to a Josh McDaniels, a Bill O'Brien, a Charlie Weiss. It's Belichick, Judge, and Patricia. They're running the schemes. They're coming up with the game plans. Patricia is a part of that. He's not going to be kicked out of the inner circle of trust here because of one bad game. Now, if his job were to change, he's not giving up the whole line, okay? You know, he's a guy who at least did this. And it might've been back in the days of the Bush administration when he was assisting Dante Skarnecchia, but he's going to coach the offensive line because he's as experienced there. It's a really important position group, but it's not as important as calling plays. I think there is a world in which Belichick might take play calling away from him. If this doesn't go so well. But I don't think Patricia did a particularly good job of calling plays. Now, within the context of, you know, it was his first time. Fair. A lot of second and six runs. Okay. First down, early down passing entirely not productive. They averaged just as many yards running the ball on first down as they did passing. That should not be the case whatsoever, particularly when you're passing about 62% of the time, which is optimal. It's a modern ratio. We didn't see that a lot last year, but they weren't able to generate anything when they should have against more basic looks. And part of that obviously is going to be on play calling. So he's not going to lose the de facto OC title. He's ahead of Joe judge. He's below Belichick as far as the offense goes, but maybe he does lose play calling as far as the O-line problems. And I talked about it was fundamentals. You know, Michael, when he's run stuff, he's not reaching a player on outside zone, which means, you know, basically if you're think about it, you're facing someone, right. And your, your shoulder, your left shoulder is opposite um, their left shoulder. So you're not lined face to face, but, but pretty close when he needs to reach someone, Michael, when it does or any offensive lineman in his own scheme, you're trying to get yourself all the way around to their right shoulder and kind of turn them. So you've got to cover basically a whole gap. And he wasn't able to do that because he's, oh, I don't know, 350 pounds and playing a very good run defense in Miami. So things like that, they can fix. Trent Brown picking up an incoming safety blitzer and Brandon Jones to stop a strip sack. That's going to come with film study and identification. Is Matt Patricia the guy to get the most out of these fundamentals and offensive linemen? We're going to find out. Um, but it really wasn't so much to do with the new stuff. Again, crack toss, they run forever. Inside zone was the same. Outside zone wasn't great, but there's potential here. It's not just all the new stuff sucked. Like we, we want simple explanations. I get that. And I think it's a fair question to ask, but it's always a little bit more complicated and a bit of both when you're asking, was it this or was it that? It's somewhere in the middle. Okay. Mason via Twitter wants to know if Mac were to miss extended time, would Belichick pick up the phone and call Cam back? Cam Newton mentioned or magically make cap room for Jimmy G. I think the Patriots and Niners have talked a while about Jimmy G, not recently. 
before Mac Jones got drafted. Didn't go anywhere. I don't think that's going to happen now. And part of that, I think, is San Francisco would wisely want to hold on to him with a second-year guy in Trey Lance who's going to run the ball a lot, which means his injury risk goes up. Um, and then also, it sounds like Mac is not going to miss extended time. But of the most confident things I can say about this conversation, I would be stunned, shocked, like on the floor, tipped over if the Patriots brought Cam back. And it's not because he left on a terrible note. It's just I think the whole league saw, including Carolina, we came back for a spell. He just doesn't have it anymore. And they revamped their offense back in 2020 to work around him. And it didn't really go anywhere. And he was surrounded by one of the worst group of weapons in the entire league. But now's not the time for that personality, that offense, where this is, particularly given the changes they've made since then with this new offense around Mac Jones. Last one from Darren. Quote, what was the rationale behind this new offensive concept? They see it as a fit for the players they have or something they wanted to do and expected the players to learn and adapt. Uh, so I think he's just talking about the offense as a whole. And it was, it, it again, we talked about this with Dior. Is it this or that? It's both, okay? We talked about this before in the podcast. The Patriots can only install what they can coach. Their coaches, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, of course, have limitations. So what they've done are teach things that are a little bit simpler. The offensive line, zone blocking. It's not easy, but it is simple, okay? Joe Judge has taken up a lot of, Things that the Patriots have run forever, which isn't a whole lot new. The drop back passing game looks very familiar. RPOs, though, were something that he worked with with the Giants and Daniel Jones last year. So that's something he can coach that's new and been installed. RPOs also, <clears throat> excuse me, fit Mac Jones. He he threw RPOs, I think it was 19.1% of his dropbacks at Alabama when he was a starter in 2020. So it's a little bit of both. They want to fit for their players, but the best optimal plays or system or scheme around these players is probably not this one only because Matt Patricia and Joe judge, like any coach can't coach everything. Okay. And if you were to pick out from a menu of, we're going to do a little bit of, you know, this amount of personnel groupings, whether it's 11, 12, 13, 21, you know, the certain concepts you want to run for the passing game, is it more air core yell or is it, but you know, West coast, or are we going to go some spread, whatever it is like, you know, that's the theoretical best offense for these players. They don't know all of those different things. Yes, you can learn and apply and teach, but we've seen how that's gone already just with a little bit more zone blocking, a few more RPOs and renaming some protections in place. It's been slow out of the gates. So it, some of this does fit the players. The downfield passing games can help guys like Nelson Aguilar, Tyquan Thornton whenever he gets back, Johnny Smith playing more in space with those RPOs. But um, part of this, they absolutely expected the players to learn because they renamed old things, old things in the playbook that had been in there forever to help themselves. And as they saw it, eventually the players, but right now they're going through a lot of growing pains. So as I said, the growing pains extend to the coaching staff. There's a lot there in terms of adjustments from the players that they were players that they were running that Miami then stopped the technique and fundamentals up front and out wide, where again, there's not a whole lot of separation. Their longest plays aside from Kendrick Bourne's 41 yard grab, which was awesome. Uh, Jacoby Myers contested catch. All right. Not a lot of separation there. It's impressive, but their issues kind of remain the same. And they're going to see them again in a little bit different twist with the Steelers zone blitz. So that's it. Again, get used to this on Tuesday mornings. It'll be me and my film notes. We'll do as many mailbag questions as we can. I left, I think, four or five out on Twitter. Submit another one next week. I'll try not to overlap from Darren, Mason, Fiora, uh, and Jake. But otherwise, we will see you Friday. More Steelers talk. 
hopefully a guest. If not, it'll be more of me. I don't think we'll be back in the cabana like Zach, uh, Dakota and I were in South Florida, but honestly, it's good to be back. We'll have a regular week. We'll hear from Mac Jones this week, Bill Belichick, plenty of players in the locker room. So stay tuned, and we will see you on Friday. You'll make it. Week two will be here, and all this Dolphin stuff will be in the review. Until then, take care.